Hello? All right. Let's hope it works now. <laughs> okay. I am putting myself in D&D and yeah. Excellent. All right. I think we're ready to get started. We talked for like 45 minutes, so. Yeah, I re- it's been like, it's two o'clock now my time. So let's, <laughs> yeah. let's get going. Was, I have to, yeah. Yeah. All right. And I don't think it's going to be a very long episode, hopefully. So. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, if it's longer, I feel like the way I've written it, it's as much as we need to say. So if it's long, yes. it's long. If it's short, it's short. But it's as much as we need to say on this topic. So. Yes. All right. Yeah. Hey, Katie. Oh, okay. I'm going to start now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hey, Katie, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, Missa? I'm good. Um, I just watched the new um, Netflix special, Mucho Mucho Amor, um, about Walter Mercado, and it I, was incredible. I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, what an icon in, like, the astrology community and the Puerto Rican community. Just so great. Yay. Well, yeah, he was a very special man, and i that's on my to-watch list, but I have a monstrous to-watch list right now. Um, yeah, well, me too, but everyone was watching it on Twitter, and so I was just like, okay, fine, I'll watch it too. I got peer pressure. <laughs> I, I Joshua Conkle and Pam Grossman. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Well, yeah, I've been stressed out because I am apartment hunting right now, and that's just fucking awful right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Mercury is direct again as of today. Thank, you know, thank the divine. Um, but yes, but also it's still cancer season. So we're like, we're done with Venus retrograde. We're done with eclipse season. We're done with Mercury retrograde. We just have to get out of cancer season and then maybe things will be okay for a few months until like, I think there's a lot of big astrological stuff happening in the fall and shit's going to fall apart again. But yeah. Oh man. Well, here's to uh, here's to finding a new apartment in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, it's yeah, it's weird. I'm, that's an entire other thing, but I don't want to detract too much because <laughs> we're we have a very important episode topic today. Yes, um, we do want to start out uh, addressing. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago when we did our our witchcraft and racial justice episode. We had recommended some books for people to read, and one of those books was um, White Fragility. And after recording, it came to our attention that that book was actually written by a white person, and a lot of uh, Black people and people of color asked white people to stop recommending that book to other people. So um, we came up with uh, a list of some other books for you to read. I've only personally read one of these. Um, but these are books that were on other people's um, recommendation lists. Um, so we wanted to go over those with you all. Um, so the first book, and this is the only one that I've read, I did see it on like an intermediate reading level. Like, you know, you should already have kind of a basis in anti-racism before this one. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily one that you want all want to start out with, but it is a very good read. It's Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Daniel Tatum. Um, there is Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by, and I might not pronounce all of these names correctly. I, it looks like Rennie Edo Lodge. There is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. White Rage, The Unspoken Truth of Our Racial Divide by Carol Anderson. And then um, Me and White Supremacy, Combat Racism, Change the World and Become a Good Ancestor by Leila Saad. Yeah. So that's, I mean, a a ton of books for you to get through. Again, we haven't been able to vet all of those. And 
um, you know, let you know where they fall as far as if it's a good book to start out reading about anti-racism. Um, but those are books that we've seen on other people's book lists. So we wanted to share those with you. Um, and again, mm -hmm. really promote reading books by black people. Mm -hmm. And not just yes. about anti-racism, read just any kind of book by black people, read novels by black people, um, you know, promote black authors, promote black art. Mm -hmm. Yes, especially within witchcraft. There are not very many witchcraft books written by black authors because of the way that the witchcraft pagan publishing system works. Um, that being said, they are out there. Um, most of them are voodoo or hoodoo or African diaspora books. Um, but just because, because we are going to talk about appropriation and how it may not necessarily be okay for you to just go in and like read these books and now you're a Vodou practitioner, but you know, you can still learn, you can still go in there and better yourself through learning about other people's culture. So just because you read something, especially within witchcraft, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to start practicing that precise thing. So, yeah. And that's actually our topic for today. Um, we're going to be talking about cultural appropriation within witchcraft. Yes. And we do want to give a disclaimer. Um, you know, we do try to be good allies, but we are two white women. And so we are trying our best. Yeah. So we are trying to be as mindful and purposeful as possible in this. We worked pretty hard to make sure we're putting in as mindful of an episode as we can right now. Um, that being said, you know, just because of the nature of white supremacy and racism, we do apologize if there's anything that we don't realize we're doing. And um, yeah, we're just giving that disclaimer. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's important for any white person or any ally to any community. I'm sure I've said it in the past. I'm going to say it again because it's always my recommendation. Um, it's okay to make mistakes. You're not going to get everything right the first time. Just like we recommended a book in a previous episode that now we're saying, Hey, actually read these other things instead. It's okay to mess up as long as you're willing to accept criticism, apologize and do better in the future. Um, mm -hmm. So again, we're not going to get everything right the first time that because we are still learning. Um, that's why we started this podcast was to learn with you all. And that mm -hmm. goes for not just witchcraft, but for every aspect of our society. So um, mm -hmm. we're, we're growing with you. And so if we do make mistakes, again, let us know. Don't be dicks about it because, you know, we, I get enough of that where I live. Um, <laughs> I live in a very conservative area. So um, but if you could, you know, if if something that we say feels harmful to you, just let us know and, and we'll try to address it in the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um so yeah, so we're just gonna start out with what appropriation is. Um, and so I just Googled a definition and this is the first thing that came up and I sound it's pretty correct as far as I know the definition. So I'm just gonna read that. Um, it is the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas, etc., of one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. So, so some real life examples of this are like um, big clothing brands just seeing a really cool pattern that belongs to a different culture and putting it on their mass produced, um, sweatshop produced clothing for mass production and for sale to the larger Western white people culture. Yeah, um, I think yeah. actually recently, and I don't know what company it was, um, 
they were selling like Islamic prayer rugs as decorative decorative area rugs. Um, yeah, that's that's a sacred uh, item, and it's not to be mass produced and distributed to the Western world. Yeah, and another thing is kimonos, like that has really deep cultural connections in Japan. Like that's kind of a a symbol of. Um, traditional Japanese culture and heritage and you know people just throw them on like oh this is a bathrobe where I'm gonna wear it to Coachella or yes Coachella if you want examples of cultural appropriation Coachella is a great place to find them um people have gotten better I think about not wearing um headdresses but you know in the past you've seen a lot of white women in traditional Native American headdresses those are a sacred symbol um they're, I don't even know all of the, um, the history of them, but I do believe that they're something specific given to, like, something given to specific members of tribes. So it's not just that any, even Native American person could wear one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe it's, it's similar to, I don't know that the, um, this is how you get it, but it would be like me walking around wearing a purple heart. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. and I, so it's, we have to be very careful about what you're using and what you're taking away. So there is some nuance to this subject. Like there is such a thing as appreciation. Like you can appreciate the culture without appropriating it. And so to give you an example, again, this is a definition that I Googled and this is a good answer. So this is just something I copied and pasted Um, But um, appreciation is when someone seeks to understand and learn about another culture in an effort to broaden their perspective and connect with others cross-culturally. Appropriation, on the other hand, is simply taking one aspect of culture that is not your own and using it for your own personal interest. So that's like what I was talking about earlier with reading, you know, books about Vodou written by Black authors. Like, I will go and read that in an effort to better understand and learn about um, Vodou and Hoodoo, because like even just preparing for this episode, I realized that I don't in, like I've learned about it. I've heard about it on podcasts, but I don't quite understand the nuances and differences between all those things. Because like voodoo is more or less just a white people summary of these African diaspora traditions. And there's a lot more nuances to them if you look into it. Um, whereas appropriation would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to like use this stuff for my practice and totally ignore the history and the black people behind it. Cause like we've said before, um, Vodou, Hoodoo, Centuria, those are all African diasporic traditions and they're diasporic because of fucking slavery. They are the traditions that were passed on through slavery and were used as tools to help people survive slavery. And that is why it's kind of fucked up if a white person appropriates that. So another example uh, is, so for instance, um, there, I, I live in a town next to an ICE detention center. So there are all kinds of protests at the, the center. And a lot of the protests have actually been put on by uh, the Jewish community. Now, we don't have a Jewish community really where I live. So there are people from out of town. Um, and they always start every... Uh, protest by acknowledging that we are on um, Nishan on land, which I mentioned in a previous episode. And then they'll also ask uh, the local tribe to um, do a, a blessing um, or, or, you know, 
to open the ceremony or the, um, the ritual that they're doing tonight. And a lot of the um, protests, at least the way they started out, um, were actually Jewish services. So there was, um, and I, I don't know a lot about Judaism, but I think it's, is it Shabbat is the, the Friday night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shabbat. Yeah, the, so like the Friday night um, custom, um, and they like pass out challah to everyone. This was when it was okay to like be near other people. Um, and then the next one was, and I think I talked about this actually in one of our first episodes, the Tisha B'Ev um, ceremony or, or custom ritual. And again, it was started out by, or opened with an, a Native American traditional dance, but that was put on by a tribe. So they asked the, the people to come and open for them. Um, and so it wasn't that, you know, we sat there and we said, we know that we're on indigenous land, but we didn't invite any indigenous people to be here today to tell us about it. Um, Mm -hmm. so that would have been appropriation, uh, you know, or if we've been like, Hey, we know we're on this land. So we're going to go ahead and do the dance ourselves and do all the customs ourselves versus saying, what can, would you come here and teach us about it and, and do this? And I don't necessarily know that this happened at the protest, but a step further would be to then pay people for their services. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Paying for services is an important part of appreciation because if you're, you know, just try, like, don't try to get stuff from people of color for free. That is not okay. And it's just continuing this pattern that white culture has had of um, kind of diminishing the work of people of color and not allowing the magnitude of their work to really um come through and paying it what it's worth so yeah yeah um so again appropriation versus appreciation um you'll see a lot of people with dream catchers like hanging from their rear view mirror um Mm -hmm. white women with dream catcher tattoos those kinds of things that's appropriation um Mm -hmm where you might, and I'm not the authority in this, I'm not indigenous, I can't tell you whether or not this is correct, but at least the way I would see something that you could do that would be appreciation, um, if dream catchers are something that are really, um, that you're really interested in, that you really resonate with, would be maybe purchasing a dream catcher made by an indigenous person. Like that's mm-hmm. their business. Cause then you're supporting their business. So you're able to appreciate something that you um, are interested in without taking away from it, because then you're adding to that, you're adding to their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And also learning about dream catchers, not just, you know, having them cause you think they're pretty or whatever, or believing whatever mythology modern white culture has told you about dream catchers actually doing their research and learning what the culture that it comes from believes about dream catchers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And while we're doing more examples, another example is white women with cornrows. Like, first of all, black hair is an entire like subject full of depth that really highlights how black people have been, um, marginalized because it's their hair. It's just the way that their hair grows, but they have been forced to cut it or straighten it or chemically, um, you know, chemically straighten it, wear wigs. Like they've been told that this natural part of their bodies has been unprofessional, ugly, dirty, all that stuff. And so 
it's really a reclamation of white people's heritage and bodies to be able to do cornrows or do some of those more protective hairstylings. And so that is why it is incredibly fucked up when white women just do cornrows because they think it's cool looking or whatever. So, yeah. 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 Um, so it's just, and that's, but then again, to appreciate it, not that I would necessarily recommend putting in your hair, we need to learn about black hair. I don't know mm-hmm. a lot of things about black hair, um, but I have been trying to educate myself on it over the years. And so I was talking to a woman one day and I said, Oh, I really like your crochet. And she was like, how the, f- how do you know what that is? And I was like, Oh, I, I don't want to be that white girl. That's like, Oh, can I touch your hair? It's so pretty. And if you're a white woman and you see another white woman about to touch a black woman's hair, smack that other white woman. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, and that's, yeah. And that's a really good example. Cause I have curly hair and like, even within, like, I'm a white person who has curly hair and even within the white community, like every white girl you meet who has curly hair straightens her hair. And because of that, the way that I've really gotten my hair to be better looking and more manageable is by, you know, reading on black hair care techniques. And um, I don't, I mean, I'm not doing it in an appropriate way. I'm buying product products from black companies and stuff, but it's allowing me to like, that's what has allowed my hair to actually have my natural curl and look good. So yeah, yeah. like I want to acknowledge and thank black women because because of you, I am using that in my own life. And that is something that um, like has really changed because I grew up with a mom with straight hair the same way and my hair was a mess growing up. And finally I had to do my own research and I figured out how to take care of my hair by myself. But also like even within white culture, like white hair and black hair isn't as different as most people try to pretend it is. I mean, granted, like my hair is never, let me take that back. My hair is not going to be as, um, have the same texture as a black person, but the fact that I can use black hair care techniques and allow my hair, like use those as well as black women and get similar results. I mean, there's, it shows that we're not as different as some people think we are. And I also feel like it's a big issue with racism is that, you know, going back to the 19th century, a lot of people were trying to find proof that genetically like white people and black people were different species. And like, that's bullshit. Cause we're, we're the same, like there's no genetic difference between white people and black people. And so, you know, if we kind of realize that there aren't as many differences as people think there are, you know, it allows us to kind of break down those barriers that racism makes us think exist. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, but like when we're talking appropriation versus appreciation, appreciation, it, Katie is purchasing black hair care products. Um, appropriation would be if, would be doing box braids on your hair. Like, yeah, you know, you, you don't do those kinds of things because you, it's not something that your ancestors have been historically, um, punished for, um, or criticized for. Yes. So this leads us to the topic of how appropriation is harmful. So like we were talking about before, you know, black people have been punished for their hair and for wearing traditional 
um, traditional hairstyles. And so it is a microaggression and can be really triggering for a black person to see a white girl just casually putting, you know, box braids in their hair just because they think it's cool and not really realizing that like for centuries, black people were punished for having that hairstyle. They have been denied jobs. They have been told they're ugly, dirty, all that stuff. Like white culture has actively tried to keep them from having that hairstyle. And this is just a white woman casually picking it up. Yeah. The same with like indigenous practices, how we say like, don't wear headdresses, um, you know, don't take indigenous culture for your own because Native Americans, I mean, were literally ripped from their homes as children. They were put in boarding school. Um, they weren't allowed to use their native languages. They weren't allowed to do any of their customs. Sometimes they would get have their names changed. Um, so, I mean, their culture was, and their traditions were violently taken from them. And so for us to then see what they have left. So, and a lot of those traditions are lost forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for us to see what they have left and go, that's really cool. Like, I want to do that for myself is extremely harmful. They don't, they don't have a lot left. Um, and now what, what they still have is, is sacred. That's what got left over. That's the, the only thing that's remaining. So for us to go and say, no, actually that's ours now. So you have nothing, um, mm-hmm. is might not be physical violence, but it's absolutely racial violence. Yes. And I do want to say that one of the reasons why we're doing this episode is that I made some mistakes in the very early parts of my practice because you don't realize where the sources of these things are. Um, And so I really wanted to do this specific episode in our podcast. Like it's been in our list of episodes I've wanted to record since we were like making our first episode and coming up with episode ideas because specifically like when you are beginning, there are some things that are just considered the norm in witchcraft practices that a lot of people don't realize are appropriate. Like smudging, like taking, using white sage smoke cleansing and calling that smudging because that is a very pervasive part of new age and witchcraft practices. Um, But that like the term smudging is actually a very specific um, for like Native American ceremony and it's inappropriate to call white sage smoke cleansing smudging um yes it's it's a sacred tradition it's it's that's not what you're doing Mm -hmm. another example and i'm just going to use this very specific example because um i it it might throw up some red flags for you if you find yourself in a um similar situation um i bought judica elish's book of five thousand spells which is cool if you want a general idea about how to do stuff and it's given me a lot of ideas and when I was first learning it kind of gave me a broader idea of what witchcraft is Um, but she doesn't really label the source of those spells in there so I was going through a really hard time and I saw I went to like the depression section and in the depression there's all of these um, recommendations for Hosnohana oil which if you don't know that that's specifically a African diasporic spiritual oil I didn't realize that I went out and bought it and was using it. And then like, I kind of went for a full circle and realized like, oh, this is voodoo, hoodoo oil. And it's not necessarily meant for me, a white person. So um, yeah. And so I'm putting that out there to fully acknowledge that, you know, I have made a mistakes. I'm not judging you if you are making mistakes. However, 
once I realized that I really tried to proactively learn the source of my practices and work to create a non-appropriative practice for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, we've, we've talked at length now about kind of cultural appropriation in general. um, But now we do want to get into the specifics of cultural appropriation within witchcraft. So you can recognize maybe some things that you've already seen, things that you've done, things that you've um, thought about doing and realize what you can change. And again, if you've been practicing these things, again, we all make mistakes. So if you've been using sage smoke cleansing and calling it smudging, um, you can just stop doing that. Like it's not going to be, it's not the end of the world for you to go, Oh, well, you know, I already have all this white sage. What am I going to do? I mean, you, you can continue using smoke cleansing, um, but you're not going to call it a smudge stick. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so just, um, some more examples that I just came up with of where you see appropriation within witchcraft. Um, you know, there's kind of this idea in a lot of new age practice, especially in the 60s and 70s, just generally appropriating Native American spirituality and like not doing it in a more healthy way where, you know, you pick up specifically, like you study Sioux traditions and you're specifically practicing that. It's more like kind of this white people idea of how Native American spirituality works. And like, well, the natives believe in, you know, the earth not belonging to anybody and you know, all that kind of stuff that you get from Pocahontas. Casually appropriating that in and making it really invasive, that's where we get smudging as a new age witchcraft thing. Um, but the reality is that like, you know, there are hundreds of First Nation peoples and they all have their own individual practices. So first of all, it's really fucked up to just combine them all. And also, like we were saying before, those traditions like were made illegal and beaten out of these people and it's really fucked up for you to just casually pick it up and be like okay this is mine now so yeah yeah. and um you know in like a lot of um different native american traditions again there were thousands of tribes across the united what is now the united states um there are a lot of sacred sites um that were you know sacred to different different tribes and different nations and a lot of again new agers came in and said, Oh, well, this was a, you know, a sacred native American site. And so we're going to honor it, but their way of honoring it is going there by in mass and trampling the ground. And so actually a lot Mm -hmm. of these sacred sites have been ruined um, because of kind of this, this white person uh, need to experience the culture and the tradition and the the sacred um, sacredness of the land without realizing the harm that they're doing to that same land. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah, and just a few other things, um, like referring to yourself as a gypsy, like first of all, gypsy is a racial slur. Um, And also that is a very specific culture of people. And if you are a descendant of the Roma people, then yes, go on, that is yours to work with. But if you are not, like, like I, like Kesha's great. I have really appreciated her last two albums. I think she's a very strong woman, but she continually calls herself a gypsy and that is fucking problematic. Yes. So. And also, um, again, if you are, like we said, a descendant of the Roma people. So that needs to be um, something that you were 
taught by your ancestors, by your grandparents, that needs to be, you know, a family tradition that, you know, and, and you can go into it, you can search, seek out these traditions. Um, but apparently 23andMe will tell you if you have something called, quote unquote, the gypsy gene. Um, I learned this from someone who got their 23andMe results and discovered that they had this. And I'm having a really hard time to get this person to stop using that word. And they keep going, oh, well, it's okay because I have the gene. And I go, but you don't. You didn't even know this about your family until you took this 23andMe test. Oh and so, God. like, if, if that's something that resonates with you, and, I mean, if you knew her, you would think, you know, yes, I, actually, I, I learning more about this culture and this tradition might be very beneficial for you. Um, but you can't just be like, oh, well, this is me now. I'm, you know, Esmeralda from uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, you can't do that kind of thing. Um, the Roma people, the reason that they're not around to defend themselves is because they were actually victims of the Holocaust as well. It's not talked about yes. widely. The Roma people were almost completely wiped out. And that that word uh, it was the slur to refer to them. Um, so we mm -hmm. use it all fun and, and fancy free. Um, but Stevie Nicks has a lot of other really great songs. Listen to one of her other songs. We can stop listening to that one. It's good, but there's better ones. Yes. And yeah. And also, you know, there are still Roma people in Europe. Um, they're usually pretty marginalized groups who you know hope um face housing instability and stuff like that um and they're kind of looked down upon in communities that's just so when in ireland roma people are called travelers and they are looked down upon in a really big way so that's just my experience from the few months when i was studying abroad in ireland but I know that that is not unique to Ireland. I know that that's also true in the UK and France and Spain and Italy. And yeah. Yeah. Another example that I've seen or I've heard dialogue about, especially um, Jessica Winston over at House of Hoodoo talks about this a lot, but there is also this problem where white people will go in, into a BIPOC tradition and they kind of take it over, like they take over this space for people of color, and then they try, they start to present themselves as an expert in that tradition. So, um, like I said, Jessica Winston ta has talked about this a lot because it's really pervasive in Vodou and Hoodoo, um, where a white person comes in and they present themselves as an expert and they kind of take over the tradition. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. And, Corey from New World Witchery, if you listen to his earlier practices, he was a root practitioner and did a lot of hoodoo stuff. But he's actually like, if you listen to his newer episodes, he's a really good example of not doing that because he is a white man. And so he talks about how, you know, he's kind of taken a step back and is allowing space for people of color to talk about the tradition. Yes, he's still a practitioner, but he's not presenting himself as an expert in it. Um, yeah. And he has appreciation for it, but he's not, you know, trying to take it over and make it um, I actually, I used to follow someone else on Instagram um, with a similar story, but not as good of an ending. Um, I was like following her journey while she was learning. I can't remember if it was Conjure, um, but, but one of those African diasporic traditions. And, you know, she was talking about classes she had been taking um, and about how like one time she took it, like she had previously taken a class and basically been ripped off. And so now that she had taken a new class, she realized how much she hadn't learned the first time. And so for that, for me, you know, she was paying someone for his service of teaching her about this tradition. 
Well, pretty much as soon as she finished that class, she started offering services um, mm-hmm. to, to people. And I mean, she was white as white could be. Um, and it was just like, to me, that is appropriation because when you are then offering your own services, especially if you're charging for those services, you're taking money out of the pockets of people of color, of the people that should be getting the money for those things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And the other thing I've heard is that it is okay for white people to practice voodoo or hoodoo, but A, you need to be invited in. I've also been told that this type of tradition spiritually, like there isn't really a path like with witchcraft where you can read a bunch of books and kind of create your own spirituality. If you want to follow down that path, you need a teacher. So you need someone else to teach you. And I would, I'm just going to say here, it needs to be a person of color. It needs to be a black person. Um, and then once that does happen, like a black space shouldn't become a white space. It shouldn't just become so overcrowded with white people that it is no longer a safe place for black people. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if you're seeing things like um, conjure and root work services offered by a white person, um, I would go ahead and just skip that. You know, I would, I would make sure that you're giving your money because again, if, if it's okay, even if you're not practicing one of these traditions, if you want something done, if you, if there's a service that you think that you, you could benefit from, pay a person from that tradition, pay a person of color, a black person from that tradition to do that service for you. If mm-hmm. you want a spiritual cleansing and there is a curandera in your neighborhood that can do that for you, give her money, have her, uh, you know, help you with that cleansing because, you know, if that, if that's something that you think you can benefit from, and I'm not here to say like, well, you can't have that done because you're not Latino, you're not Mexican. Like, no, you, you can, again, you just, you pay the, the person from that tradition to provide that service for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And those are just some base examples of where especially you see appropriation within witchcraft, but you can see this with Indian culture, you can see this with Egyptian culture, you can see this with Purandarism, like we just talked about. Um, But yeah, basically, it's taking minority practices and just like picking them up and being like, but this is a cool thing, I'm going to do this. Um, And I mean, what really got me started thinking about this is on the witch wave, Pam Grossman has talked about the subject with a lot of um, with a lot of witches of color and it it's almost a little uncomfortable to listen and Missa you can stop me if I'm in the wrong on this but it seems like Pam Grossman kind of believes in not creating separations between different cultures and allowing things to like having an appreciation and doing the work um which is good but also like you know you can definitely still you know use African goddesses in your work um, but it's also the people she's talking to, like when she's talking to them, they're actively saying like, no, that's not okay. Um, yeah. and the only, yeah. And the only person who she's talked to about this and has been like, oh yeah, you can definitely practice my cultural practices is Venable Wen, who's a practice practitioner of, um, traditional Chinese practices. Um, but I mean, that's an entire other thing because the Chinese weren't as heavily colonized as other groups that are appropriated. So that might be why Benabel was like, yeah, it's okay if you use, if you work with Chinese practices. I'm not so certain. Like the 
Juliet Diaz, who's a Tayano um, and works with a lot of those traditional practices, flat out was like, no, it's not even okay to use the word chakra. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think as it is sometimes uncomfortable to listen to because you go, you feel criticized. You think, why I'm not really harming anyone. Like, why can't I do this? I, I like your culture. I've been doing this for years. Um, but you have to recognize if someone comes to you and they says, what you're doing feels harmful to me, you don't get to decide whether or not that's true. Mm -hmm. Um, it's similar to like, if someone were to, and again, not all of everyone listening is a woman, but, um, you know, if, if you're, um, you know, a a woman or, or a femme or maybe even, you know, a member of the LGBTQ community, if someone says, you know, if someone were to say something misogynistic to you and you say, Hey, that's misogynistic. They go, no, it's not. It's not there. You're the one that felt it. So if someone were to say something homophobic to you and you say, Hey, that's homo- homophobic. They can't say, no, it's not because they're not experiencing the the homophobia, the, the misogyny. So if someone says to you, Hey, that's, that's racist, that's culturally appropriative. You can't say, no, it's not because you're not the one experiencing the harm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. So anyway, listening to the witch wave, there are quite a few conversations that Pam Grossman has had. If you go back and listen to the um, back catalog. And like I said, she's had these conversations and only Benabel one was like, yeah, go, go for it with Chinese traditional practices. But um, like there are several other um, witches that she's had conversations about that with. And it might be good if you want to go back and listen to it from, you know, a source that's not too white women. So, yeah. Yes, definitely um, make sure that we're not the only people that you're listening to. Um, I don't know a lot of, I actually haven't been listening to a lot of podcasts lately. That was one of the things I wanted to recommend where podcasts actually, uh, or witchcraft podcasts about or by witches of color. Um, but I just haven't had the, the mental and emotional bandwidth to listen to a lot of podcasts with everything that's going on. Um, so I, I wasn't able to, to find those and, and share them all with you, but I will keep looking for you. And when I, I find them, I will, I will definitely let you all know. Yeah. That can just be a little appendix at the beginning of an episode that we record soon. That's a really good idea. So yeah, now let's go into how to create a non-appropriative practice. Um, so to begin, just look at the roots of whatever you're working with um, and don't assume that it's just like this standard thing in witchcraft or, this cool thing that's you yours to use at at will. So an example would be like smudging, like the roots of using smoke cleansing and calling it smudging is problematic. But another example is if you look into the roots of tarot, like tarot has European roots, it's a European practice. Um, So that's, you know, that's kind of a freebie that you could pick up. Yeah. And I mean, when in doubt, especially if you're just starting your practice, and you kind of don't know where to start, and this is actually, I mean, how I started my practice was rather than jump into specific traditions, working with specific deities, I actually started with what I could see, what was around me. I started with nature, with the elements. I started with the sun and the moon and the stars. Um, and then my practice grew from there. So I wasn't starting with like, okay, well, like which Orishas do I want to work with? Like, no, I, I built um, the more I don't necessarily want to say religious 
but I, you know, working with deities and, and traditions, I worked that into my spiritual practice later. So then the second step is don't casually pick up anything, um, which is just a good rule in general to prevent spiritual bypassing. So like if you start down a spiritual tradition, don't do so with intention and purpose. Don't just pick it up because you think it's cool. Um, an example is that like a lot of American people, even American people of Irish descent have this really superficial idea of what Irish traditions are. And they don't realize that like, there's also, there's actually a lot of depth there to the point where when I was in Ireland, if you were an American with Irish heritage, they didn't care. You're American, not Irish. You are not Irish unless you are from there. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like you don't it up because you have this vague idea of what it is. You need to do more of the research before you claim it as your own. Um, and then the third rule I would have is don't practice the spiritual traditions of a minority group that you do not belong to unless you are explicitly invited to do so by a member of that group. And we've gone through that um, pretty well, but you'll notice I said minority group, and I want to go over in a little bit more detail why, as a white person, that rule doesn't count for white traditions. Yeah, I um, would just want to cut in, um, and instead of maybe using the word minority, um, refer to these communities as marginalized. Um, mm -hmm. because in reality, we, white people aren't the majority. Um, that is true. Yeah. so I, I think it's important not to, and also not to make minorities seem inferior. Um, that's how mm -hmm. political correctness and not to say that we're trying to having to be politically correct all the time, but terminology changes all the time. Things that we learn to say, uh, change over time. So I think mm -hmm. uh, to the best of my knowledge right now, um, I believe the preferred term is marginalized and I could be wrong about that. It might've changed again, but I know that okay. there has and been some pushback um, by people of color from using the term minority. And see, this is me learning cause I wasn't aware of that and I apologize for using that term. Um, and yeah, switching over to marginalized communities. Um, but yeah, so this doesn't count for white people because the root of racism, racism doesn't just mean that you hate people of a certain group. Racism is a systemic social structure that we have used to, that we have created to support white people and bolster white people while marginalizing pretty much everything else. So just the nature of racism means that white people aren't marginalized. And also our traditions have been supported and upheld rather than suppressed and made illegal in some cases like um, Native American traditions or like the demonization of African diasporic traditions. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, when we talk about colonialism, uh, quote unquote, white culture, these white traditions, our ancestors literally went into countries and forced these traditions on other people. So that's why mm -hmm. you can't say that you're stealing from white traditions because you can't steal something that's been forced on you. Yes, exactly. And that's a good example because you'll see in dias diasporic traditions, African diasporic traditions, that there are really heavy Catholic themes in there. And that's because they had Catholicism forced upon them. And so, you know, colonialism is so pervasive. I mean, white people really came in and, you know, influence everything throughout the world. That's one of the lasting legacies of colonialism. Um, and because of that, you know, it's not really fair to a black person to say, you can't practice these traditions because they're white traditions because we, you know, we force them on them. So 
yeah. Yeah. And also finally, as a white person, if anybody else has issues with what I just said, I invite you to practice any white people traditions that you want to practice. If you, that's what you need, you have my blessing. So uh, I second that motion. Motion yes. is carried and passed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you might be going like, well, Katie, where do I go from here if I can't, you know, do, you know, if I can't just pick up whatever I want and stuff like that. And so I would say when in doubt, you know, go back to your ancestral traditions and just work from there. Um, and, you know, the, I, we are directing this largely at white people because they tend to be the people who appropriate. Um, but, you know, I would also hesitantly say that for um, marginalized groups, this means going back to your own traditions as well, because you don't necessarily want to pick up um, unknowingly harm another marginalized group by practicing their traditions um, incorrectly. I mean, that being said, I'm a white person, and if I'm in the wrong there, I apologize, but yeah. Yeah, but um, Katie compiled a, a pretty extensive list, um, or at least it feels extensive to me because this is new uh, information, but so a, a list to help you maybe start out, you know, if you're trying to add deities to your practice or, or add traditions to your practice where you can start out um, by looking into your own heritage and your own ancestry. Yes, exactly. And I'm just going to start by saying that no matter where your background is, a really good place to start is looking into the folk traditions and the legends and mythology of your ancestral line. Um, a really good example that I've been using is Celtic traditions. So there is Celtic folk magic, there's Irish folk magic, there's Scottish folk magic, and these more, um, you know, these looser practices that you can pick up ancestrally. There's also, you know, Celtic mythology and stuff. So just starting with the folk traditions and mythology is a really good place to start. Um, yeah, and also just saying that there's this big, I think I said this briefly before, but there's like this big thing in some parts of witchcraft where it's like you have to learn this from your grandma in order to be a witch and practice those beliefs. But, you know, we all have ancestors dating back to pre-Christian times or pre-Islamic times or pre, you know, pre-standardized religion times. Um, you know, standardized religion has really just come back, come around in the last, you know, 2000 to 5,000 years and humans have been on the earth far longer than that and we have had spiritual practices there's evidence that um, Neanderthals had spiritual practices um, and so this is if you need to you can tap into ancestors going back that far so yeah yeah um, so like Katie you were talking about Celtic isn't just Irish um, mm -hmm. because the the Celts, is, is that the correct terminology? Yeah, the, so, yeah, so the Celts were actually this really large culture that only got diminished and kind of flung, well, not flung, but the center of Celtic culture was in Gaul, which is modern day France. Um, but when the Romans conquered Gaul, they pretty much ended that as the center of Celtic culture. Um, and because of that, we mainly associate um, Celtic history or Celtic culture with Ireland and Scotland and some of the places that the Romans didn't conquer. Um, yeah. But yeah, you could practice Celtic. So like I said, there's 
Ireland, there's Scotland, there's the UK, there's Wales, there's France, Spain, Switzerland, Austria, um, Liechtenstein, um, and Andorra, if you're people from small countries. Um, so Celtic is really, really broad if you're from Western Europe. And so that might just be a good general place to start if you're a white person. Um, and I know, I know, I know there's a lot of people who, like, I initially didn't want to do Celtic because I was like, oh, this is what all these, you know, people that I don't, that I think are silly and are buddy-duddies are practicing. But actually, if you look into Celtic mythology, um, the Celts migrated from Central Europe or Central Asia. And there's, because of that, they actually share a lot of really interesting spiritual connections um, with other cultures that originate from that space. And there's a lot of spiritual depth. It's not just, you know, hippie old lady stuff. There's a lot of spiritual depth in Celtic <laughs> practice. So, yeah. Yeah. And then um, if for anyone um, of like German, Scandinavian, um, Anglo-Saxon uh, ancestry, um, their Norse mythology is, I think it's getting a little bit more popular, um, but there's a lot of, of depth there as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's more than just Odin and Thor. So that's a lot for you to look into um, as well. Again, we have mentioned in the past that some Nordic traditions have been appropriated by white supremacists. Um, so just be on the, be wary of that while you're looking into it and make sure that you don't fall into any white supremacist traps, chat rooms, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Yeah. Yes. And I, one thing I did also want to point out that Dutch people also have some Germanic um, spiritual roots there. So if you are Dutch, that might be a good thing to look into. I think Belgian might fall under the Celtic umbrella. Um, but yeah, and then, yeah, and I've also been looking into Norse stuff. I've kind of gotten drawn more into the Celtic stuff because of the Morrigan and my entire thing going on there. But yeah, the Norse, like the Yggdrasil, the Tree of Life is actually this really cool, sh um, I don't know if I can use the word shamanic because I believe shamanic refers to a specific Siberian practice, but like this, this really vast meditative practice, um, Yggdrasil is this metaphor for, you know, going into the underworld and going up into the tree branches. And it's, there's a lot there if you really want some, if you really want to look into it. So, yeah. Um, Italian folk magic, I think is still a little bit more, um, practice nowadays. Um, mm -hmm. Stregaria, um, yeah. you've heard, so actually our, Katie and my, uh, religious studies professor that, where we kind of first learned about witchcraft as religion, her grandmother, um, was a strega. Yes. Um, and so that, that's something that, you know, if you do have an Italian background, you might be able to learn a little bit about that from, um, you know, your, your parents or your grandparents. Uh, but there's a lot of information about Stregaria still kind of out there, and that's still practiced today. Mm -hmm, exactly. And then there's also Greek and Roman gods, which, you know, even if your family is French like mine, like the Romans conquered France. So I would say that you are good to go on working with Greek and Roman gods if you are from anywhere that the Greeks and Romans conquered. Um, and that can even be like, you know, Northern Africa and um, the Levant and Turkey and places like that, because 
you know, I've been to Turkey and some of the biggest temples to Greek deities were in Turkey. Um, so yeah, if you're anywhere, not just Europe, but anywhere that the Greeks and Romans conquered, I would say you have the green light to work with those. Um, and then, you know, if you're from Eastern Europe, I know nothing about it, but there is an entire Slavic deity pantheon and folk tradition. And that is, I would say, go for it there. If And that's some, well, not go for it, but that's a really good place to start if you are from Eastern Europe. Um, and then also, you know, there is traditional American witchcraft. Um, I am still in the beginning stages of learning that stuff. Um, just because I started kind of looking into some parts of my heritage, but I do also have parts of my family that have been in America since the 17th century. Um, so that is also something I want to learn more about, but there is traditional American witchcraft. Um, I would say the New World Witchery podcast is a really good resource for that if you want a stepping stone. I listen to a lot of their episodes and I, like I said, it's a good stepping stone, but it's not going to outline for you how to do this. Um, but yeah, there are, if you're just, you know, American, you've been in America so long that you're a mutt that, you know, there are traditional American practices as well. So. Yeah. I recently learned that, um, some of my ancestors have been here as well since the 17th century, which was not something I was aware of. Um, my spouse got on ancestry.com and we started tracing lineage and my family is from Germany. That's my, both of my grandmothers were daughters of German immigrants and that's, the ancestry that I knew, um, you know, I knew that my great grandfather was French Canadian and, um, but because he left his family, that wasn't a part of me that I was interested in learning about. Um, but then I had another grandfather that we didn't really know anything about. Like we asked him where the last name came from and he would say it's Welsh. Um, and we knew he was from Oklahoma and that's pretty much everything that we knew. Um, and we traced, so my spouse and I were able to trace him actually his family back to the revolutionary war, uh, which was, my, like mind-boggling for me and also that we were you like living in Massachusetts um in the 1600s like in the 1690s and I was like mm -hmm. I mean okay I don't know whether or not there were actual witches in Massachusetts in the 1600s but uh I would like to think that we were one of them <laughs> yeah I mean I'd say it's 50 50 I'd say that there was a really good chance that it was just the Puritans being fucking crazy but you know yeah, yeah. um <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so those are my resources for white people. And so, you know, we were doing this and I realized like it would be incredibly fucked up if we just shared white resources. So I have done my best to um, create a list of resources for as for other groups. I apologize if um, in error I left out your group. Yeah, it was not intentional, but um, yeah, let's just, uh, let's just go through the list of what I was able to compile. Um, so... Uh, some resources for black people, there are, you know, there's, we've talked a lot in this episode about North American and Caribbean diasporic traditions. So this is Bodu, Hoodoo, Santeria. Um, due to the nature of slavery, there are, you know, there's almost a tradition depending on what specific place you were enslaved. Like American Bodu is very different from Haitian Bodu. And then Santeria, I believe, is specific to the Dominican Republic, but there's also, you know, a very specific tradition in Cuba and Brazil has their own traditions. So there, these are essentially traditions that are based in the traditional practices of Africa. And then 
you know, those people were kidnapped and taken over here. And so um, most of them are these mixtures between Catholicism and Christian practices and traditional African practices. Although I will say that they are very heavily African, like um, I think a Haitian Vodou group invited some people from Africa, traditional African um, practitioners over to a drum circle. And it was very emotional because the African traditions recognized the drums as being the exact same as their traditions. So, you know, these are very heavily rooted in tradi traditional African Yeah, practices. it was a way a lot of the time, um, especially by incorporating Catholicism and Christianity, for them to keep their traditions um, and pass them down to future generations without the threat of being punished for practicing the traditions. Yes, and I do also want to note in Africa that can also be called root working or conjure, not just voodoo or hoodoo. So if you hear those terms, that can also be a term for the same thing. And then also like Egyptians, like traditional Egyptian mythos, and I actually had a conversation about where Egyptians kind of fall in this because I feel a little awkward as a white person if I were to practice with Egyptian stuff because like a lot of traditional Egyptian stuff is actually Nubian, which is black, but also like Egypt as it is today is in the Middle East. Um, but then there's also this really weird thing where Alexander the Great came in and essentially took away the traditional um, Egyptian ruling structure and put Greeks in there instead. And then the Greek family pretty much, um, the Greek uh, dynasty there pretty much ruled Egypt. Um, and they stayed, um, they stayed Greek. And we know that for a fact because they were incredibly incestuous and kept on marrying their brothers and aunts and uncles and stuff. Um, but... Yeah, and yeah, so like, also with Egyptian yeah. tradition, um, to the best of my knowledge, there's not people still practicing um, the traditions of like, quote unquote, ancient Egypt mythology, um, the same way that there's that died out and now is having a resurgence. Um, so by working with those deities or, or those traditions, you might not be actively harming someone who is still part of that culture. Mm -hmm. um, if, if that kind of makes yeah. sense. Yeah, exactly. But that is also a tradition based in Africa, if you want to look into that as a black person. And then, um, yeah, there is also just, you know, there are, there is a depth of indigenous African traditions. I know looking into those specifically, my, because of slavery, you may not know where your family came from in Africa. Um, and it, 23andMe could help you maybe narrow it down. It's hard to just say, go look at indigenous African traditions because there's an entire continent and it's a very diverse continent, despite, you know, what white people say when they try to like paint Africa as an entire country. Um, but it is very diverse. And like, you know, if your family's from Ghana, it could be very different from if they're say Cameroon or even, you know, within a different type tribe within Ghana. We know some people who are Nigerian or Jessica Winston. She has gone back to Nigeria and, you know, found practices there. Um, so there are these indigenous African traditions, though, if you want to learn more about them. Yeah. And then for Latinx people, um, okay, and there's, I always say Latinx because to me it sounds the same as Latina or Latino. Um, I hear a lot of people say Latinx. It doesn't come out of my mouth that way. So if, if I say Latinx and that's harmful to you and you prefer Latinx, 
Um, let me know. I can try to, to change it. It feels better in my mouth saying Latinx. Um, so definitely if, if that's something that you have an issue with, let me know. Um, but for again, Latinx people, um, there is a whole history of um, indigenous culture there. So we talked a little bit about curanderismo. Um, to the best of my knowledge, that's a, a Mexican practice. I, I Most of my uh, interactions with uh, Latinx people are Mexican people just because I live in Northern California. Um, so if it is a practice, if it's practiced in other cultures, I, I'm not familiar with it, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the only, unfortunately, that's the only specific tra- practice, curanderismo, um, that I know of specific witchcraft practice, um, mainly because, yeah, I also live in Colorado, and I know curanderismo's practice here, and I know that, you know, it's really heavily practiced in some other places with large Latinx or Mexican populations in the United States, like Texas. Um, but, I mean, there are also, like, I keep seeing these lists that recommend working with Aztec goddesses, for example, which for an idea, the Aztec culture was in central Mexico. Um, but yeah, that's a resource for, for you if you want to work with deities. There's also, you know, Mayan deities. If you're from the Andes region, the Andes Pacific, Pacific region in South America, there's also um, the Inca culture there. Um, and then, you know, there's there are individual indigenous peoples, I don't want to make it sound like there's just, you know, Aztec, Mayan, and Inca, because, you know, there's still, like, there's still very strong indigenous groups and practices within Brazil and other, and other South American countries. Um, So, yeah, and I guess that leads me into some resources for indigenous and American Pacific Islander people, and this is, I feel, I don't know of any specific witchcraft practices because I don't think you guys identify with witchcraft as far as I know. And that's a really broad thing to say, I realize, because there's a lot of culture. There's like, I just lumped together like a billion people probably. <laughs> um, but, as, but as far as I know, like what tends to happen more is that like white witches tend to take your practices and then call yeah. it witchcraft. Um, yeah. But if you want um so this is just my tradition from doing lots of research about how to maybe tap into some of your more traditional practices. Um, I would, you know, do research into the traditional practices of your nations, um, talk to your elders, and then also look into your mythology and legends. Because um, there can be some little things like, like you could read a myth where someone is awoken from a magical sleeping spell using rose and time that's a more european example but like that is like using mythology like that some witches go like oh yeah rose and time or for this specific thing based on this yeah so um even um again we say it might not be considered like witchcraft it might be considered like folklore or folk magic um old wives tales Mm -hmm. types things like that that um you know something that was passed down um that isn't part of you know, mainstream Western culture. And it's like, well, why do you do it that way? And it's like, I don't know, because my grandma did it that way. I don't know, because her grandma did it that way. Um, those kinds of things, you know, if it's already part of your your culture and your tradition, but it's a little bit more like folk magic-y, that might be something that you want to incorporate into your witchcraft. 
Yes, exactly. And yeah, I mean, and it's great if you, I mean, I can, I know in Hawaiian culture that there were specific religious leaders and that might be considered a clear um, and more in a like reconstructionist idea, like you can reconstruct traditional Hawaiian um, religion, possibly if you are a native Hawaiian. Um, and I know that there was some mysticism and there was um, some very specific religious practices there. Um, but I don't necessarily know if that's true of all traditions or of, of all cultures. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So then um, Middle Eastern people um, or people from the Middle East, I mean, there's a lot there and there's actually a lot of really entrenched reconstructionists who go back to like the Sumerians or Babylonians. Um, and so there are some pretty established witchcraft traditions if you want to go back to those. And again, um, that would be like, if you want to do like Babylonians, Assyrians, Sumerians, those are all in Mesopotamia. If you don't know where that is, that's like Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria. Um, there's also the Phoenicians, which the Phoenicians were kind of where Lebanon and Syria are today along the Mediterranean coast there. Um, and then also Egyptians, because like I said, they're in Egypt now. Yeah, so. well, they're, yeah, so I mean, Egypt is technically on the continent of Africa, but is considered part oh, of yeah. the Middle East um, geographically. Yes. Yes, they are an Islamic country right now. So some resources for Asian people um, and I realize that like, you know, the Middle East is a part of Asia, but this is more of the Pacific side yeah, of Eastern, Asia. Eastern Asia. Um, um, there is the Shinto tradition, which is a pretty well-established um, nature-based religion in Japan. Um, there's also Taoism, which is Chinese. There's Confucianism, which is Chinese. Um, there's also traditional Chinese medicine. Um, like we talked about before, Benabel Wen is is someone who practices traditional Chinese folk magic. And so I would suggest looking up her and what she does if you want some more direction on that. Um, and then there, if you're from India, there are also Hindu traditions, although that is like a still practicing religion. And I feel as though my understanding with Hinduism is that you have to be born into it in order to practice it. Um, but that is, you know, a set of, that is a, pantheon if you want to work with that if you are from the Indian subcontinent so yeah. yeah and I mean there's a lot of again even um not necessarily saying it from the religious aspect I mean religious yes but if that's in your ancestry there's also a lot of like Indian folk magic when I say Indian I don't mean indigenous American I mean from the subcontinent of India um there's a lot mm -hmm. of things again that maybe if you are an, a, an Indian person from, you know, family still in India or recently immigrated, um, you wouldn't consider witchcraft. But if you, you know, have been more westernized and you're trying to get back to your roots, it might seem a little folk magic -y to you um, compared to Western yes. society. And so where I live, we have a huge, huge, huge Indian population, um, one of the largest and it may be even the largest um per capita population outside of India. Um, we have the largest mm -hmm. gathering of Indians outside of India, like once a year. Um, you could Google it and you could probably find out where I live. So, um, but because of that, like a lot of 
Indian cultures and traditions are, are common, more common here. Um, and some of them to me feel kind of witchy, um, but I mean, they are part of their practice. So it's not something that I would do or I would incorporate into my witchcraft. But if for whatever, you know, if I was a kid here that maybe my, my great grandma was Indian um, and, but you know, she married a white man and they all married white men. And, but I, I want to get more in touch with that. I don't necessarily want to practice Hinduism or Buddhism. Um, I might look into what are some of the, the folky things? What are the, the traditions that would be passed down by, you know, from your grandparents, things like that. Yes. And like I said, that's also just a good rule. Cause I also know, for example, that Indonesia and the Philippines and Vietnam each have their own individual folk practices and mythologies. That's why my recommendation is if we didn't in include your culture on this list is to just, you know, look into your mythologies, look into your folk practices. Cause you usually you can find magic there. Yeah. So. And I mean, I think, you know, talking about what is magic versus what is religion, you know, what is witchcraft? I don't know whether to say there's a fine line or that it's a big gray area because I think, and I, I we're going to be talking about this in the next episode or two, um, you know, what is, what is witchcraft versus what is something else? Um, and that's really up to you to define your own practice. Um, and if it feels appropriative, it probably is. Um, that's really our basic thing. Yeah. Um, so if it's not within your tradition, within your heritage, and no one has invited you in, it's great to learn more about it, um, to pay someone to teach you about it, um, but maybe not best to put into your own practice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yeah, that's all we really need to do. We need to be mindful and we need to be you know, making sure that we aren't causing harm to marginalized groups. And, you know, it's great, like we said, if someone of that group invites you into practice, that's when you have the green light to go. But otherwise, you know, I've, I think I heard this one example of this lady who people in the um, Condra community act actively avoided because every new person she saw within that community, she'd be like, can you teach me this? Do I have your permission to learn this? And, um, yeah, don't, don't be that person. Don't be like kind of the awkward white person trying to force someone to give you permission. Um, but yeah, if it just, you know, if this, if it happens naturally and it is something you want to explore and you get emotional and spiritual depth out of, then yeah, go like, go for it. If you have the permission of the group. Yeah. Practice. And and you might so, find yeah. while you're researching it or while you're, you're paying for service, you know, maybe, you know, root work or, or, or hoodoo, something like that is something that really speaks to you. Um, and so you have a practitioner that you're regularly going to and seeking those services from, and that practitioner may decide at a certain point that there's more that they want to share with you. Um, you know, they might mm -hmm. say, you know, I want, I want to teach you now how to do this instead of me always doing it for you. Um, so those things might happen and they might mm -hmm. happen because you're doing the work, um, and, you know, you're, you're showing that appreciation. And so they might say, you know, I, I can see that this is something you're serious about. I want to welcome you in. And it might mm -hmm. never happen. Yeah, you and just, might pay someone for their services for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And they're like, nope, lady, like, I'm going to, you keep paying me. I'm going to keep doing this for you. You can't be part of this. And you have mm -hmm. to respect that if that happens. If someone doesn't want you mm -hmm. there, you have to respect their boundaries. 
That's a good point is don't ever assume that you are entitled to anything or deserve anything like, oh, I'm giving you this money. So I deserve for you to teach me how to do this. Um, don't don't ever assume anything. So just if you want, you know, for me, that's why I'm looking more into Celtic and Nordic stuff, because, you know, I'm not going to assume that anybody is just going to hand me permission to look into other stuff that I was initially interested in when I first started my practice. Um, and in the meantime, I found a lot of spiritual depth and growth through that path. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot more to be said on the subject but again, we're probably not the right people to go more expansive into it. This is kind of just an introduction. Um, and then we would encourage mm-hmm. everyone to, to do the research and do the work on your own um, because you don't grow mm-hmm. spiritually by having others tell you about something. You grow by, by learning it yourself and putting it into practice yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I also feel like you know, it's not easy to form a non-appropriative practice and every person's practice is going to be individual to them. So it's not as though you can, you know, I just laid out a pretty vague outline, but that's, you know, it's vague because that's about as specific I can go because every, like witchcraft is so individual. I can't just say like, okay, do X, Y, and Z and you have a non-appropriative practice because what resonates for me and what I like and is non-appropriative may not work for you. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Um, again, we know that these are hard subjects, um, but we don't want to just talk about witchcraft being light and airy fairy and fun. Um, we have to make sure that we are still being good people. Um, so if anything that we have said, um, again, you want more information on or, or you want to correct us on, um, definitely reach out it may take us a while to get back to you. Um, we are both still working 40 hour weeks, sometimes more than 40 hours. Um, so we're, we don't always have time to respond right away, but we will always try to get to you. Um, Katie, do you want to let them know how they can find us? Yeah, you can email us at babywitchpod at gmail.com and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at babywitchpod. All right, everyone. Well, we will talk to you in two weeks on the next magical Monday. Bye.